This is Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we have the second part of a message from John 13 entitled, Serve Like Jesus. Pastor Roy will be sharing the final three ways that Jesus served. Open up your Bibles to John 13 and follow along as Pastor Roy shows us how we are to serve. Well, it's been a good morning of, it's been a good morning of worship already. Good to see each of you here. Today we're going to continue our series in John chapter 13, Serve Like Jesus. There we go. And I'm going to do just a quick review of what we talked about last week, but I'm going to kind of do it quickly because uh, we have a lot of material to cover today and uh, things we want to get through. But Jesus served with knowledge. And we talked about the fact that Jesus knew that the world was corrupt. The world cosmos, that's the word used uh, in uh, the original language. Uh, The Bible originally in the New Testament was written in Greek. And so that word cosmos is a word we get. We use that word uh, cosmetology, cosmopolitan, all that comes out of that uh, root word cosmos. Used 78 times in John, so it's very important used 15 times total combined in the other three Gospels. Here's the definition I wanted us to focus on uh, last week for cosmos. The people constituting the world whose values, beliefs, and morals are on distinction and rebellion to God's. The world is in rebellion to God, and that's why God sent Jesus Christ to the earth to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we could be forgiven and cleansed and have a personal relationship with God. Because there's no other way we can bridge that gap. Sin broke that relationship with God, and therefore we're alienated from God, and Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven of our sin. That's why man is in rebellion to God. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the message of the gospel to someone who doesn't understand is foolishness and may come across as condemnatory, but in reality it's a message of love and hope and encouragement that I can be changed and, and, and transformed and have a personal relationship with God. So it is a wonderful message actually. Carl Henry said the task of the people of God is, as far as possible, in a sinful society to reclaim the cosmos for God's created purpose. God has a purpose to be reconciled to his cosmos. And the way he does that is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus served with knowledge. He knew the world was corrupt. He also knew he was returning to the Father. And so he knew his days were limited, his time was limited, and he knew he was going to have to train the disciples. So here he is, hours, 48 hours or so, probably before he's going to be executed on the cross, he gives this incredible lesson of washing the disciples' feet and training them with a visual demonstration of what it means to serve. And so he served with knowledge He served knowing he was returning to the Father. So when we grow in our knowledge of God, it will translate into greater service. When I understand this book and what it represents, and I understand that the world is corrupt, 
When we grasp the knowledge that the world is corrupt and we are returning to the Father, we will have great motivation to serve like Jesus. My days are numbered and limited. So my responsibility as a pastor is to train God's people for works of service. It's to train them in the knowledge of truth. That's my responsibility until Jesus takes me home. (laughs) And so that's my heart and passion to do that. Secondly, Jesus served with love. His ministry was couched in love. It tells us that he loved the world, that he gave his only son, that he saw the people who were harassed and helpless like people who had, were sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus, in Matthew 9, we looked at, he healed a paralytic man. He healed a, a woman with a bleeding disorder of 12 years. He raised a girl from the dead, and he healed two blind men all in one chapter to show that he was here to minister to the needs of people. Maybe you're here this morning and you have something wrong in your life. I have good news. Jesus can fix it. He can fix it. And he is concerned about your brokenness. And he wants to fix it. But we got to come on God's terms and accept God's remedy. Now, here's what I want to talk about this morning. Please don't check out on me. I want to talk just briefly about literary form. It's important because some people have been in churches that practiced foot washing. And so the question is, is foot washing supposed to be a practice of the church today? Now I know of people who have been involved. I've talked to some people here who have been involved in foot washing. So please understand when I say this, I am not trying to minimize your experience. If you had a wonderful experience, that's great. What I do want to challenge you on is, is it the best biblical application of, from this passage. Because I think we have to come back to biblical truth and not just my emotions and how I feel when I do something. But I have to look at the literary form and understand that here, this is a narrative form. So because it's a narrative form and story form, uh, narrative reveals truth indirectly and it appeals to emotions and imagination. So... It is not a direct truth, it's an indirect truth. Jesus is actually teaching, I believe, about service and serving others, not washing feet. And I don't have time to explain the whole thing, but here, narrative writing includes stories, parables, biographies from a theological perspective. That's what it does. And I'm going to show you a contrast here in a minute. It usually conveys a main point or teaches principles for application, it rarely includes direct commands. Jesus said, I came to what? Serve, not to be served. He didn't say, I came to do foot washing. I came to serve, not to be served. And so there's a lot of scriptures that back that up uh, when we look at it. And I'm going to mention a couple in a minute. Discourse reveals truth directly. It appeals to the mind and the intellect. Uh, Some of you are involved in the Ambassadors for Christ class. These are some of the principles out of our Bible study methods and rules of interpretation that we went through. And we actually talked about this passage a little bit last Sunday night. Uh, But it reveals truth directly. It appeals to the mind and the intellect. These would be like your doctrinal passages, like the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches. It includes exhortations and commands. So it's a totally different thing. It presents doctrine or facts in a logical, orderly fashion, often in the form of an argument, letter, lecture, sermon, or speech. 
like I said, you have to look at it in context because if you get a letter from the IRS, you know it's not a love letter, right? I mean, typically, they don't send love letters out. Congratulations, you paid your taxes. No, it's like, here's what you owe. Pay it. Uh, so there's a context there. When you get a letter, that's what I'm saying here. There's a context. A narrative context is a story, and it presents it that way. So right before I go to that, let me just give you a couple other verses. So if we look in the totality of Scripture, there's only really one other passage that talks about foot washing uh, in the New Testament. That is in 1 Timothy 5.10. And it simply talks about someone who's well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints. Why? Because that's what they did in first century Palestine. First century Palestine would have a basin at the door, and they had sandals and robes, and they walked dirty streets, so their feet needed to be washed. That does not translate into the 21st century because we don't practice. That is not a normal practice. So see, that would be a normal practice. So that's why I believe the Scripture teaches we are to serve one another. Listen to this, Galatians 5.13. You, my brother, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. It's exactly what Jesus was doing in John 13. He was serving in love. 1 Peter 4.10 uh, says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so the verses back up the fact that Jesus came to serve, even in the, the discourse passages where it talks about doctrine, to serve. Um, I don't know where it, one example in the New Testament where Paul, who planted all those churches, ever said in Scripture that he washed the feet of others. And so that's why I think the scripture bears out that we are to serve one another. And he was merely giving an illustration from the first century that they would easily recognize and remember. However, the fact that Jesus did it is amazing because he was a superior. And one commentator said, nowhere else in history do we see somebody of rank stooping to such a position of a slave to do that kind of task. Jesus broke all of the social rules, as it were, to do that. Uh, but thirdly, before we get to that, Jesus served with patience. He served with patience. Notice his patience with Peter. Look with me in chapter 13, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. We see his patience with Peter. Peter did not understand at all and neither did the other disciples what he was trying to show and demonstrate by washing their feet. He did not understand. Have you ever tried to do something for somebody they don't understand? Or they don't know because of their lack of knowledge, they don't get it? Maybe you're here this morning and you have very little Bible knowledge. I want to encourage you, don't stop coming. Come to get more Bible knowledge. 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God will be patient with you if you will give him time to teach you, to be patient. His patience with Peter was evident, that he was willing to wait. I think about back in my college days because I didn't go to college right out of high school. I didn't take my first college class until I was 28 years old. That's another whole story. And then when I moved down to Virginia and went to school down there, I'm going with all these little 20-year-old kids who are wet behind the ears, and I'm just a few years older wet behind the ears. (laughs) Because I went to play basketball, and I went up to the dorm, and I'm getting dressed to go play basketball, and I'm, you guys, some of you guys, I'm going to date myself now. Some of you remember those short coaches' shorts, right? Oh my goodness, I had those things. And they would be really short, and then I wore these long white tube socks that came up to about right here. <laughs> Almost looked like a mummy. And, uh, and the guy looked at me, and he's got his socks on there just, you know, just above his ankle. And he's looking at me, and he's like, Roy, you might want to push those socks down a little bit. <laughs> I said, thank you. <laughs> he was looking out for me because my fashion statement was outdated. I was with younger people. And I wasn't up with the times. Um, Peter wasn't up with the times. He didn't get it at all. And yet the patience of Jesus in working with him was incredible. He says, what does he say in verse 7? You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Have you ever had to use that as a parent? (laughs) Son, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but later you'll understand. Maybe after you have your own children. That's a good verse for parents. (laughs) Because later they kind of, they'll get it, they'll understand. I remember my dad said, you're not going to understand this. But later it's going to sink in, you're going to get it. It's going to come to you. His patience with Philip. In John chapter 14, the very next chapter over, verses 8 and 9, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father... And that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's like, man, I've been walking with you for three years and you still don't understand who I am. But yet Jesus was patient and continued to reveal himself. If we are going to serve like Jesus, we have to serve with patience. Not everybody's going to be on the same plane. Not everybody's going to have the same understanding. We have to be patient. We have to give room for people to grow, room for people to make mistakes, room for people to have ignorance about something. Do I know everything? No, I don't. Do I still need to learn? Yes, I do. Do people need to be patient with me? I hope you are. (laughs) And I hope I'm patient with you. I think that's what Jesus was saying. We have to be patient with one another. If we are going to serve like Jesus, we do it with knowledge, we do it with love, and we do it with patience. So here's a question. How patient am I with fellow believers? Am I patient? Or do I have certain expectations? And if they don't meet those expectations, boy, let them have it. Right? They don't do it my way. Patience. Incredible. We have the example of Jesus being patient. 
his patience with Paul. Listen to this verse, 1 Timothy 15 and 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Was Jesus patient? Look what it goes on to say. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I have good news for you. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, Jesus is exercising patience toward you. And he will. But I think we have to move forward and we keep moving toward God and saying, God, I want to seek after you. I want to look after you. And God will reveal himself to us if we're willing to seek after him. How patient am I with a person who is lost? Do I expect something out of them that they really can't deliver? Or am I patient enough to say, you know what, I am praying for them, and I hope they've been on your list for a long time. I've had some people on my list for years that I pray for, still pray for. Guys that I worked with when I first came out of high school. I, I, I feel burdened to pray for him, and he'll trust Christ. And I, and I still have kept contact with him through the years. How patient are we? It's a fruit of the Spirit. How do I respond when someone violates my rights? Oh, man, this is getting heavy, isn't it? Am I willing to wait on God's timing, or do I barge ahead with my own plan? Man, I've been there before. I get ahead of the Lord. That's painful. (laughs) Don't care to do that anymore. But how do we respond when someone violates our rights? Get cut off on the road. (laughs) Give them the horn. Give them some Christian swearing, right? (laughs) Give them a few words. Um, How do we respond? Yet we're to serve in the church with patience with one another. Fourthly, Jesus served with pain. I find this incredible. This is the hardest time to serve is when I've been hurt by somebody. Have you ever been hurt by somebody in the church? There are some people today who will not don the doors of a church because they've been hurt by somebody in it. And they've never dealt with the offense. The truth of the matter is we do get hurt, don't we? I've been hurt. I could have quit a long time ago. But you know what? Jesus is our example of someone who served with pain. And I think we need to look at it this morning and be reminded of it. What was this pain that Jesus faced? The pain was in the form of betrayal. This is, one of, to me, one of the deepest pains you can have is to be hurt by somebody close to you who loves you, who demonstrated a form of loyalty to you, and you've been hurt. Look at verse 11. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean, and yet Jesus still washed his feet. Think about that. The very person he knew was going to turn his back on him He washed his feet.
And yet Judas, the Bible tells us, had a plan to betray Jesus. It wasn't a spur of the moment. He was premeditated and planned. He says in Mark 14, 10, 11, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. If we look down in verses 18 and 19, we'll see again that Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed. Notice he says in verse 18, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the Scripture. Notice that, fulfill the Scripture. I want to refer us to an Old Testament passage in a minute. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. A couple reasons Jesus told them in advance. He wanted to show them that he knew the hearts of man. He could read beyond the surface. I can't do that. But God can read your heart this morning. He knows exactly where every one of us is spiritually. Our attitude toward God, our attitude toward the church, our attitude toward fellow believers, he knows every attitude about us. And Jesus also told them this so that they would believe the Scriptures. Because he says in verse 18 to fulfill the Scripture. He wanted to show them this was predicted in the Scriptures and it is fulfilled right now, will be fulfilled in front of your very eyes. Now, the passage I think he is referring to, and you'll have to give me a moment to explain it, is Psalm 41 Verse 9, here's what it says. Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now let me explain something here. This is written by David. David was a thousand years before Christ, so you're like, how in the world could he write about Judas because he didn't know Judas? You're right, he didn't. I don't know that he was writing specifically about Judas. I think he was writing about a friend of his that was to be compared to the situation that was happening in John. Who is David writing about, is the question. And I think the answer is Ahithophel. You're like, who? Is that some kind of disease? <laughs> no, Ahithophel was one of David's closest, wisest, and most loyal counselors. Most closest wisest and loyal counselors. I want to show you this. In 2 Samuel 15, 31, David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Why did he pray this? He prayed this because Ahithophel, when, when David's son Absalom rebelled against him and began to revolt against David as king, Ahithophel went over to the side of Absalom and betrayed David. And so I believe David prayed this prayer because he knew that his close friend was a wise counselor. And so he prays, turn his counsel into foolishness. Did God answer his prayer? Yes, but not the way David expected. His prayer was answered. He still gave wise counsel but here's how God answered it. His counsel was rejected. And so here's what happened in the end. 
2 Samuel 17, 23, when Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. Now watch this next part very carefully. He put his house in order and then he hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. Now, he talks about lifting up his heel, taking bread, and when you took bread at someone's table, you had a close friendship relationship. And to lift up the heel to show the bottom of the foot in that culture was derogatory. If you were to show the bottom of your foot to someone, that is scorning them. Okay? So lifting up the heel. So what does Ahithophel do? He does the very same thing that Judas did to Jesus. He says, the scripture is fulfilled. Put your trust in what I'm saying, Jesus says. Put your trust in who I am. Look at the Old Testament scripture that was written how many years ago, and here's the fulfillment of it today, the reality of truth. Jesus served with pain, though. There's another point I want to make here that I think is important, and that is this. If a person can be genuinely saved by sheerly watching somebody's example, then certainly Judas would have been saved. Because how are you going to get a greater example than Jesus Christ? He had the greatest example in front of him. The greatest witness, the greatest humility, the greatest love, the greatest knowledge, and the greatest example, and yet, and he even saw the miracles, and yet he rejected Jesus. Example is not enough. If you and I live an example in front of our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and people in the marketplace, and we never move beyond example to actually verbally express the gospel, we are coming up short, I believe. Now, we have to pray about God's timing and all that, but we need to jump in at some point after we have a relationship and find out and at least inquire. The one thing we can do is ask questions. Have you ever thought about eternity? Where do you see yourself in 50 years? That's the kind of questions I try to ask. Do I need to work better at it? Yes. Do I have it perfected? Not at all. Not at all. I have a lot of area of growth. So I'm encouraging all of us in that. But the example is not enough. The pain continued. Peter denied Christ. He washed Peter's feet, but he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. It's the insult of insults. We call it backstabbing today. It happens when someone puts on a front and they act like your best friend only to take advantage of you. And that hurts. And you don't get over that in a day or two or a month or two. And all of us know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. If we've lived very long. But how we deal with that hurt to be able to continue to serve with pain and remember that we live in a fallen, broken world. And I am sure, as much as I hate to admit it, that I have heard other people 
Probably not intentionally, but I'm sure I have. And so how do we, how do, we do that? Because we're fallen human people. We have to continue to serve with pain and say, you know what, and, and learn from it and, and develop more skill in how we deal with things to honor the Lord. If we're going to serve like Jesus, we're going to have to be able to serve with pain. But I think we need to seek the Lord to find healing for that pain too. I think it's crucial. Let me go on. Jesus served with humility. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice what is combined with humility is gentleness. Some of us are like bulls in china shops. <laughs> Some of us, we, we rub the cat the wrong way, and we, and we enjoy that. We just like rubbing the cat the wrong way and upsetting the cat. Some people, they get pleasure out of that. I don't understand it, but they get pleasure out of it. Um, don't get pleasure out of doing that. Um, gentleness is derived from humility. That we're gentle. Uh, humility is, is that meek spirit and it's strength under control. I don't have to throw my weight around. I don't have to pout and have a hissy fit to get my way. <laughs> I serve with humility. Like Jesus did. Jesus bowed. He took the position of a slave. He took the position of a Gentile woman to show them humility. And what did he do? He laid down his outer clothing. If we go back to verse 4, it says, He got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he laid his outer clothing down, which I think is a symbol of what he was going to do on the cross by laying his life down. Because it gives us that whole understanding. If we were to go back in the scriptures in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd and I do what? I lay my life down for the sheep. And that's the example he was giving of laying aside the garment that he was going to lay his life down. And that is the ultimate in humility is to lay your life down for other people. It is the ultimate. And that's what God is asking us to do. To lay my life down for other people. To empty myself. Let this mind be in you, which was also who? In Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. A servant. Pride, someone once said, is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. <laughs> Isn't that true? Man, it just makes you sick. It's like, here, here, look at the book I wrote, and here's a thousand pictures of the author. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of makes you sick. Every other sentence is me, myself, and I. <laughs> Somebody said, I think there's a reason God created us the way he did so that we can't pat ourselves on the back or kick ourselves in the hind end. I mean, there probably is a reason he made us that way. But it's the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I have to die to self to serve others. 
That's what I have to do. I have to be willing to lay down myself to serve other people. And that's what Jesus did. It wasn't beneath him to serve. There's some people, oh, I'm not doing that. Oh, that's for somebody else. You know, I don't do that. Um, I have to die to self to serve others. I have to trade in power for weakness. I have to trade in power for weakness. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. I thought God empowered us. He does, but he empowered us to show us our weakness. Look, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect, what? In weakness. So I have to trade in my power for weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. I actually brag about how weak I am and my inadequacy and my inability to promote Christ. That's what he's saying. Jesus took that position of dying to himself to give his life on the cross. I have to trade in popularity for anonymity. Now let me add this. I should say on this one, I need to be willing to trade in popular because the truth of the matter is there are some people in the Christian realm who are very popular. Billy Graham, for instance. David Jeremiah. I mean, the list goes on. God has raised them, though, to that level of popularity, but I think they would still have to be in a position to say, you know what? I'm willing to trade in that popularity for anonymity if it will promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to be willing to do that. I need to have that spirit and that attitude. I don't think they are doing what they are doing to say, look at me. <laughs> as long as they are doing what they're doing to say, look at Christ, that's the anonymity. Not, it's not about me. So I trade in my popularity for anonymity. I have to trade in pride for humility. The depth of my humility is revealed by how I view myself. How did Paul view himself? I'm the worst of sinners. I haven't come to that point yet. I'll have to be honest with you. That I feel like I'm the worst of sinners. I think all of us should be striving more, more feeling like a worse and worse sinner. That's the depth of our humility. Paul's humility that he was the worst of sinners. The depth of my humility is also revealed by how I treat others. And then A.W. Tozer said, A humble man is not a human mouse. Afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority, he has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is weak and helpless as God declared him to be, but paradoxically he knows at the same time he is in the sight of God of more importance than the angels, in himself nothing, in God everything. And that's keeping the balance that God wants us to have. So if we are going to serve like Jesus... We need to serve with knowledge. We need to serve with love. We need to serve with patience. We need to serve with pain. And we need to serve with humility. Let's stand for a word of prayer.
As you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I would just like you to reflect upon the message. Where are you at in serving like Jesus? If you were to pull out a half sheet of paper and start listing the ways you are serving right now, currently, how long, and it's not, it's not how long, but it's like, where are you serving? If you were to list your spiritual gifts, and maybe you don't know what they are, are you serving in your area of gifting? Are you serving in an area that you are passionate about? And are you serving with knowledge? Do you need to get more knowledge? Are you serving with love? Do you need to love more? Are you serving with patience? Do you need to be more patient for those that you are working with? Are you serving with pain? You haven't quit because you've been hurt. Are you serving with humility? With God's strength? I'm too weak for the task. You know, when I was asked, uh, they were inquiring about me becoming the pastor of this church. I was an associate pastor before I took this position. And one of the questions that was asked was, you know, he preaches once in a while, but would he be able to do that every week? Um, and my answer was, by God's grace. Because that's the only way we can do anything, is it not? It takes his grace, his strength, and his power to do his work. I want to challenge all of us to be servants like Jesus. That our church, that my prayer is that Bethesda Church would have people who will serve like Jesus. Because the Bible says, and we never got to it, but our memory verses the last couple weeks, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we serve like Jesus, it will be so diametrically opposed to the world, it will exalt Jesus Christ. And that's what we're to do. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you don't even understand yet and understand sin and separation, how it separates us from God. I'd be willing to talk with you one-on-one -on -one and meet with you and open God's Word with you and, and, and try to, and I would exercise patience with you uh, to share with you. Uh, we, we're here because we want people to learn about God. If you don't have a personal relationship with him, our desire is that you will understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and paid the penalty that we could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. 
you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.